All right. Uh, welcome to the podcast. My name is Dennis Deloach. I'm the host of uh, the Uncle Jim Effect podcast, and I've got uh, my good friend Tom Shea today. I'm so excited about this. Tom's uh, his uh, expertise speaks for itself. Tom, in my mind, uh, has been a a mentor that I've loved and hated both at the same time. And I can tell you, he's absolutely changed my life. And I'm just excited to bring him here. I want to uh, thank everybody. I think we just surpassed 7,000 subscribers, which is phenomenal. I can't believe it in our first couple, three months. So, so excited about that. And I haven't been as excited about uh, somebody being on this podcast as, as I am about uh, Tom Shea. Tom, welcome. Well, thanks, Dennis or Uncle Jim. It's yeah. all good. <laughs> you, you've called me a lot worse than that. I, hey, I, I never cussed you. I know you cussed me, but I didn't cuss I did. you. And I, I still do. I remember back on some of those times. We'll get into that, how uh, you've almost killed me a couple of times. So that's, uh, that's a scary Let's do thought. It. <laughs> so, Tom, I'm going to start off just, to, I mean, I, I know all of your accolades and I know you don't want to talk about it. Just for as a background, I'm going to butcher it a lot, but. Uh, Tom was a 23-year veteran of uh, the Navy, yeah. Navy SEALs. Tom was, uh, I, I call it the head of the sniper program. I'm sure there's an official term for that, but <clears throat> you were the leader of that program and uh, were basically a sniper by trade in the Navy SEALs. Uh, got a beautiful family, wife Stacy and two sons and a daughter, and uh, just a great man. He's got, you've got all the, awards that you don't want to talk about the mm -hmm. silver star, the gold star, all of that stuff that, uh, you know, I, I can, we can talk about the thousands of hours you've got in combat and all that, but suffice it to say, in my opinion, you're uh, an absolute hero. And right off the bat, I want to thank you for your service and all the things you've done to make our life so much easier here. So, well, that's uh, I always like to hear how people, uh, look at my past and I just call it my past, but, uh, yeah, so I, I had, uh, I think I've lived the American dream. Uh, I think I grew up at a time in the, in the late sixties and seventies where at least it felt that way or anything that I was willing to do, I could do. Didn't seem like a lot of restrictions on me as a kid and, uh, which led to a lot of downturns as well. Uh, that's. I think the American way of living is anything you're worth, worth trying, you can go do, you'll probably fail at it a thousand times. And, and I did, I failed. I think I'm the greatest failure in the world. So, and it, 23 years in the seals, I spent a lot of time doing something that a lot of, I think most of your listeners or watchers, they get a third party or fourth party rendition of what the, what a seal is it's a very unique lifestyle and that's really what it is. It's a lifestyle of putting your health and your team and your skills in front of family, which is difficult to do. And, uh, thank God they don't have to, it's not a business because you couldn't pay somebody to do that job. It has to be a choice. And, uh, it led to a lot of, uh, great experiences that, I've been able to share with you and other men and women. Wow. Yeah. That's the, 
the way you just said that just downplayed it so much. You, you talk about growing up in a great time and, and it, it was such a different time than now. And you talked about being the, the greatest failure. Uh, I share that story with me. And I believe it was four or five times that you've been through hell week. Mm. And at one point, uh, I think maybe you still are the, the seal who's gone through that the most. I, and some interesting research I did, I looked up and just said, Hey, what, what's hell week like? And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously being a good friend of yours, I'm familiar with it just hearing from you, but it, how accurate is this? This said uh, basically a five to six day mm -hmm. ordeal in those five or six days, you'll get a total of four or five hours sleep total. Mm -hmm. You'll do probably 200 plus miles of uh, running slash whatever at that time. And then you're working mm -hmm. out some physical workout 20 plus hours a day, all in that time frame. And it's basically the most grueling week in the military in the world. And, mm -hmm. and with that, I, I mean, I, the best way to describe that you have to go back to its origin. A guy named Draper Kaufman in world war two was tasked by the president at the time to, cause uh, the, there weren't seals back then. Uh, they were called, um, construction battalions maybe, or underwater. They ended up being underwater demolition teams, and, but they weren't even formed yet. Uh, but the Germans and the Japanese had put things on the coastline to prevent landings and for the Marines and the army to land on a shoreline. They had to go in and blow the, somebody had to go in and blow up these lane, uh, lanes so that the craft could land. And if you've ever been on the beach that from the breaker until the shore, it's cool when you're swimming in it, but when you're trying to operate in it, it's very unforgiving. So they had to operate in that little hundred yard swath of earth in terrible conditions. So. Draper Kaufman was tasked with how do I ask somebody to do that? Because the president said, we know you will all die, but it has to happen. So if you're not willing to do it, I'm going to ask another leader in the Navy to put a program together. And so in about a month, he designed the first hell week. He and a guy named Phil Bucklew sat down and what do we want to teach these guys? Can you teach anybody anything in a week? What experiences do they need? And what do we want at the end of this week to happen? So what Draper constructed in a month is still in existence now in 2000, going to be 24. It hasn't changed because what you go through there matters a great deal in combat. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, so you go through every, every hellish condition that you could possibly have in a week you go through and it's, it's by design. So the first bad experience that you go through in hell week, and it starts on a Sunday night and it goes until Friday between noon and four in the afternoon. So that's the timeline that it normally runs. You get sleep on paper, but you as a student don't know that you were allowed to sleep. So whether you closed your eyes or not, who knows? I remember sleeping under the boat walking. So I, maybe that wasn't qualified as sleep, but, uh, starts on Sunday night, goes to Friday. The first evolution 
that every man and woman should experience in their life is confusion. How do I stay involved in something that's so confusing and stupid that why am I here? So you ask yourself, why am I doing this in the first hour? So how do I go through something very confusing? And that's the first hour and a half of hell week. And then the second evolution is how do I or put somebody into a condition where they cannot run away? Something very difficult. You can't beat it. You just got to sit there and suffer. So it's called water torture or surf torture. You put them in the San Diego ocean or the Pacific ocean and they, you get them so cold that they can't fight the cold anymore. You just let them sit there and suffer because if you get rid of people, if so, the whole design of hell week is this, get rid of everybody who's going to quit. If you're looking for a way out, you will find it in hell week. If you have an excuse to not perform, you will find a reason in hell week not to perform. So, as he designed this, he realized at the end, the only thing that mattered are the people at the end of hell week, not the people at the beginning. And he put himself through the first hell week. He had to make it through himself because he had to take the guys into combat himself. And they went through with around 65 men and came out with 10. It's the same paradigm that happens now from the original people who start only 10 to 15 graduate still after what, 40, 50 years. And what you get from that experience is, man, if I don't quit, something new is possible. And can you put yourself through all those bad experiences that are, they can condense into hell week and they give you every bad one that you could possibly have. And they're browbeating you at the same time. And they're making your life very difficult. Uh, so what I learned is if I don't quit, something great can happen. Well, and you know, I appreciate that. You make it sound really easy. And uh, I think for most people, uh, and you and I've had that discussion. So for most people in life or relationships, business, whatever it is they're doing, they always start with good intentions. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to quit. And then all of a sudden life happens. So really, and I think uh, from the outside looking in at the Navy SEAL community, those of us that are not a part of it, you know, our uh, awe of that group is they literally don't quit, not just in any circumstance, but some that we can't even imagine from a human standpoint. What's the difference? And it's easy to say, but what's the difference that you see as a, someone who went through that process many times and have never quit with that to someone, a normal person, how do they apply that in their life? Mm. Well, uh, so you asked, you also said before, so I, I, I went through, I went into five hell weeks and graduated the fifth one and I got injured in four of them. And I was also kicked out of the program with, uh, probably, uh, the Navy was not going to let me come back. So I applied not quitting up front. So if I don't quit, you can break and you can get hurt and you can fail at something, but if you don't quit. And you can stay in that shitty space long enough. 
great things happen down the road, but they're not happening great in the moment. You know what I mean? Uh, not quitting, I think, should be taught by parents to their kids. I think it's the only skill that has to come from home life. Like junior skins his knee, get back up on the bike. Uh, dad, I failed a test. Good study again. Uh, I don't want to get up in the morning. Well, you promised to get up, stop using reasons not to get up. So that has to come at home because nobody else in society is teaching people not to quit. If it doesn't come at home at, at, at the home life, it's a very difficult skill to learn because it's literally not taught anymore, anywhere that I can see, uh, and I think it's the foundation of being a great human being. Just don't quit. Don't quit on being a dad. Don't quit on being a husband. Don't quit on being a kid. Don't quit at school. And all I see is people who quit all the time in business from leadership to receptionist is they have a great intent that day and it doesn't work out. So they don't engage and all quitting, quitting or not quitting is you made a promise. Keep, trying to keep that promise over time even if you have to go back 10 years go back solve that problem that you need to solve and then come forward again adjust your business model until you get to the the, the level of success that you had demanded of yourself whatever that thing is that we quit on we don't even notice that we're quitting anymore which i think is the phenomenon of quitting is you don't think you're quitting and in hell week it's a I, so I, I went through five hell into five hell weeks, and then I was as, as an instructor taught fifteen of them when I was there as a as an instructor. There's a great phenomenon that happens that you get to witness all the time. As a student, you don't notice it, but as an instructor, the number one student going into hell week, from graded tests to physicality to peer rankings, if you go into hell week rated number one, you'll never make it through hell week. So the number one student, except for there's been two Nobel hell weeks where there's not been quitters, except for those two, the number one student quits at the same point in hell week. It's when you're sitting in the ocean and you can't beat it. Like you can't win because winners are used to winning. Mm -hmm. And if you can't win anymore, your brain cascades into a bad place and it's usually about an hour and a half into sitting in the ocean and you're freezing cold and you can't even unzip your zipper and you can't take your boots off and you can hardly say your name and the instructors usually come forward and say hey if you're thinking about quitting you might as well go now because it's only going to get harder and the number one guy leaves when he leaves there's a a flood of people who quit because, you know, if, if I'm not up to his standard and I see Billy leave, yeah. like, oh, my God, Billy's leaving. There's no way I'm going to make it. And so they bring all the other people who were comparative analysis people, like, gosh, if I'm doing as good as Dennis, then I can stay. But if I can't do as good as somebody, then I'm out. Uh, so they get rid of all those people who are comparative people in about an hour. And it's weird phenomenon. Like, man, I'd love to operate with that guy. I, I've seen people 
physically that uh, a guy that could bench 500 pounds and do 100 pull-ups without getting off the bar quit during hell week. I'm like, what? Dude, you, you could have made it. And he's like, man, it's just not for me. I know it's not for you, but you promised to be there. He goes, well, I couldn't perform anymore. That's not the promise. Your promise is that you would stick it through. And I, I wish that could be taught more often to human beings. You know what, what you just said there. Again, I've, you know, I've been through your training and learned a lot. <clears throat> but what you just said right there was the decision they had made in their mind was to do this. But their thought process shifted when you said, okay, Billy can't make it. I can't. Talk about that mind shift and, and what should that mind shift have looked like? How does somebody who's listening to this, who's a business owner or, or a mom trying to do that or someone trying to develop a business, how do they keep that mindset? And what's the difference and what causes that mindset mindset to shift off of their focus? And then how do you, how do you have a great mindset? Well, imagine that I think the positive mindset that will always be effective is make a promise and keep it. That's the, that's the definition of not quitting. I made a promise. And I'm going to keep it like even a marriage vow. The vow is I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. Does it, doesn't mean that I'm going to be nice through thick and thin. doesn't mean I'm going to make no mistakes. It means I'm going to be here no matter what happens. So that's make a promise and keep it. Uh, what happens is we don't, we never learn that. So now I'm in business. I'm either in a startup or I'm, you know, running a, a trucking company. Okay. This year, 2024, we're going to make $2 million in capital and then COVID hits or something bad happens. It's not predictable. I made a promise I'm going to keep it through all this nightmarish hell that's going to happen. What I, if I haven't learned to keep my promises, I'm then going to go, well, the market has shifted. There's no way to do this anymore, but I'm not functioning. I'm not now going into the market, trying to do what I had intended. I'm not even going to adjust. I just walk away from it. The mindset is I made a promise. I'm going to try to do this on Monday. Like I'm going to go hiking and it snows adapt. <laughs> well, I'm never going to, I'm never going to go hiking when it's 30 below. That wasn't the promise. People don't adapt enough. So they don't try to do what they promised to do. They, they want the environment to be very embracing and empowering. And, and, you know, in business, the environment doesn't care about you. Like you either going to deliver or you don't deliver. And I, I, the other funny part about it, it's a taught skill and it's a learnable skill. You can learn not to quit. And just like everybody listening, just ask yourself what would be possible if you didn't quit. And everybody goes, Oh my gosh, a lot of things. Good. Keep that in mind. The next time it's very difficult. Keep in mind, just doing the simple shit over time. So it, is it that simple? I mean, because really what you just said is anything's possible if you don't quit. And someone's saying, you know, it's always that famous, yeah, but. Yeah, but COVID's here. Yeah, but the economy's down. Yeah, but the interest rates. It's always that. And, and I think as a Navy SEAL in Hell Week and in so many other things, 
the yeah buts pop up every 15 seconds in life-threatening yeah buts. Yeah. How do they truly overcome that? And uh, uh, well, maybe the second step of not quitting is uh -huh. continue to gain basic skill sets, whether you're a dentist or or anybody. Uh maybe you got the impression at 13, I want to open a dental practice, wherever that first conversation had, you had an idea that was pretty impressive with no skill set. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, now I have to go to school. So that's staying on track, learning that you, Oh my gosh, I don't know what I, I don't even know what a tooth is other than I lost a couple and I got 25 cents. I want to be a dentist. Oh, here's the first hurdle. The first hurdle, the second hurdle, third hurdle. Am I progressing towards what I had intended by learning skills, overcoming things? I don't see anything in any business space so utterly complicated that you can't do it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. But most business owners go, oh my gosh, I want to scale my idea and sell it for a million dollars. What's your idea first? Well, I want to have, I want to live like Dennis lives, oh, man. It's so complicated to start from how youth looks at being successful. Like I want to make a million dollars offer something first. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to live like Tom lives, man. You don't, that's, that's the complicated way of doing it as opposed to, I want to, I want to take my family on a vacation to Utah and it's winter time now. And we want to go in May. All things could be looked at this way. I want to take my five of us to, to, you know, Salt Lake city in May. All business could be looked at this way. All startups can be looked at this way. Okay. Pick a date. Literally pick a date. We're going to be there on May 15th. Most people in business can't even pick a date where they say, I will have gotten there by a certain time. I will have raised capital. I'll have 15 patients. I'll have two clients, whatever, on this date. So have a goal in which you are looking at measuring all your activity against. First hurdle is, especially scary now, is when you look at the cost of travel. Uh, well, it's going to cost $7,000. Uh, it's not worth it. That's how everybody starts and stops within the first day. Is it valuable enough for you to commit to? Then commit to it. Well, now it's too expensive. You did one search on Delta and it's $7,000. Can you, well, and they, most people will quit right there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, then you finally get there. And you lose all your bags and you have a terrible vacation because you're not staying in this conversation called having a great vacation in May with your family in Utah. And, but the, even though that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it, we have taught ourselves to quit and excuse ourselves from everything. And then we surround ourselves with people that are by our excuses and like even watching you, what, eight years ago, uh, go from where you were to, you know, months later, 
you convinced yourself that things were a certain way and that mm. shifted and you didn't quit, which is remarkable to watch. Whether you want to share that or not, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I have shared. In fact, I've shared uh, where I was basically 120, 30 pounds overweight, heart surgery, it quit on everything. Yep. And uh, basically heard you and said, I got to meet that guy because you had, you know, basically the story was you, I heard on this uh, DVD, you had basically screwed your back up so bad you'd gone to the doctor. And he said, I, I think we can make it to where you can walk again, but you're sure not going to do anything, anything hard again. And you basically walked out of his office, Googled wins as soon as hundred mile race, yep. something to that effect. And I heard that I looked at my wife and said, I have got to meet this guy. And I reached out and that's how I met you. And I'm still trying to decide if that was a good decision on my part, but uh, I've shared with them. You literally, you changed my life to yep. that time that, for a moment you thought I was dead in that park yep. when you put me through that to where, you know, I, I'm not fast, but you know, at least in certain things I just don't quit. And you taught me that it's not, it's, you know, it's a literally a one breath, one step at a time thing. And it's a hundred percent or nothing, but you just don't quit. And uh, so yeah, I the, that phenomenon. And, you know, I was trying to be able to find ways to teach how to do something that seems very difficult and how to, how to be able to teach it. It's cool to talk about that stuff, but how do you teach it and somebody get some value from it? And at the time it was, uh, everybody listening is going to laugh. So to bear crawl about 200 yards, which is what you did. Yes. Uh, what most people do in life is they push so hard. They can't continue. Most business men and women hammer through problems as opposed to if I get in any, any endeavor, if you push too hard, you're, you're, it's going to take too long. It literally does. What if I make it to that blade of grass and take a break? What if I make it to that tree, take a break, mm -hmm. reset myself, get positive again, at least not get down on myself. And I had told Dennis, you know, if you lose focus of bear crawling, stop and stand up and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then he keeps crawling and keeps crawling and keeps crawling. I'm like, dude, I would have stopped like six times. Then I look out in the field and you're laying on your belly. I'm like, Hmm. And he didn't move. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jail. I didn't get an insurance policy. I'm going to jail. But imagine if you just didn't break yourself all the time, yeah. but business relationship, health, whatever we push too hard in life all the time. Yeah. And you don't have anything left at home because you work too hard at work. And we, we push our point of view in relationship to the point where we break the other human being. And that's not a good way to live. So an inch at a time, reset, inch at a time, reset. In combat, that's the deal. Like you're going, you're only fighting for the next two minutes. Next two minutes, next two minutes, next two minutes, next two minutes. And there's a lot of resetting in, in a combat environment. It's not a continuous gray space. There's difficulties, then slow down, stop, reset, check everything, take a breath, eat some food, go back out into hell, come back and reset, 
uh, and uh, trying to convey that into the business space has been interesting and difficult as well. Yeah, that is such a good point. You know, having uh, like you, I mean, I've got a background in sports and, and, you know, you learn instantly, you go into any sport, you know, football was a sport you and I did, but you have a game plan, you know, yep. like Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. Yep. And I think of all of the game plans in the world, military and war is probably the one that shoots it the quickest, but you know, in a relationship and business, all those things, everyone's got a great plan. We're coming up on new years. Everyone's going to have a great plan, but what is it that you learned basically in war and all these other things, when you come in with a great plan, like these people are going to have, what happens on January 1st or 2nd? What is it that big change that affect? How do you evaluate it? Uh, how do you change? How do you really become successful out of that when the game plan changes instantly? Uh, well, uh, my first reference comparatively from how the military, how our combat unit plans and organizes to how a non-combat human plans and organizes. So business world and relational world. Uh, in the business world, plans are too complex. Uh, and in the business world, all plans work out on paper. Yeah. They think everything's going to work. If I get $4 million capital, I'll be able to make, I'll be able to invest it. And the real estate market will stay as is, uh, interest rates will stay. Nobody will quit your employment. And so on, on January 2nd, the world has a, a deciding factor. So in the combat environment, all plans are made at a five-year-old level that you could convey to a five-year-old at two o'clock in the morning. They're so basic that only thing you're planning is a basic thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the basics in shooting at night is you can only really hit a man-sized target with your pistol at 10 yards. In the daytime, it's a different factor. So you plan to only expose the guys to shootable target at 10 yards at nighttime, basic thing. So if the target is out at hundred yards, it's not our problem. And you, the carbines that you have, the five, five, six carbine guns that you have, you can probably shoot pretty well at 25 yards. So that's basics. So don't let the guys do anything other than basic as a leader, don't expose them to something that's not on the basic plan. So that's how things are planned. And then in the combat setting, everything's rehearsed. I didn't, I don't see a lot of rehearsals in the business world. They have a plan and they move to execution from a plan. So they go from a whiteboard to executing. So in the military, you go from planning to rehearsing, then you go back and go over oh, that plan didn't work because it can't even make it through a rehearsal. And then you adjust the plan until the plan and the rehearsals can marry up pretty well. Uh, so the, the January 2nd phenomenon <clears throat> in the military, everything goes bad in combat. The plan doesn't make it very far. So the con the enemy has a deciding factor. So anything outside of the plan you deal with very quickly 
and then you get back to the plan. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't totally adjust the plan wholesale just because the, the enemy is doing something unpredictable. You try to keep coming back to like, if you play squash or racquetball, you keep trying to fight to the center of the court. Mm -hmm. You don't stay in the back right corner just because that's where most of the balls were. You, you try to fight back to center and that fighting back to center is a great combat analysis of how to done, do a business plan. Uh, veer off, reset and come back because everybody in the business wants your plan to work. Like if you go to all your employees and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. And this is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. And then January 2nd hits and you go back to them and go, okay, today we're going to do something entirely differently. Damn, I couldn't even get to what I, but we keep, I see leaders keep, keep adjusting people too much. They never get back to what they were hired for, so to speak. Hey, go do this. Go, man, I can't even get to what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, in the combat environment, you, you, you have to get the guys back to the plan and they appreciate it. Okay, we're going to go over here and do something scary. Mm -hmm. All right, boss. We're hey, we're get back in line. We're moving towards the main target. Even though there's other things that you could do, get back to the main effort as quick as you can, and adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust. Uh, that is a great thing to learn as a businessman, even in a marriage. You had your intent, and then January 2nd happens. Man, like going out on a date. We're supposed to go out on a date on the 2nd, and she's sick. Don't blow the marriage. You know, And people do that. You know what I mean? They're like, I didn't expect her to be this way or him to be this way. Adjust and get back to what you originally intended. So, I mean, it sounds to me like really you just went through the gamut from war to relationships and i hope you weren't comparing those two relationships uh, aren't they the same <laughs> uh, i hope the male and state both will kill you i hear <laughs> that's i'm not going to comment on that but yes that's true. <laughs> but it, it really that's that's kind of the key isn't it because the one thing we know is change is going to happen and so it's the adjustment we got to become experts at adjustment you know you've i've heard you talk many times on leading through chaos Mm -hmm. And uh, the things you've talked about there really changed my life. But on the adjustments, it seems like as people, whether it's business or relationships, like you said in the beginning, instead of adjusting, we just quit. We throw our hands up and say, well, I wanted to do it. It didn't work once. I quit. What's the difference between how do you focus on adjustments and what does that process look like? Let's say whether I'm trying to work out and do what I did, which was lose weight and not die of a heart attack to getting a business to grow to getting a relationship to continue to work. What does that adjustment process look like and why do people quit? So going back to the distinction that quitting is quitting is giving up on your original promise and walking away. So make that be the definition, uh, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a, a health goal, I promised to lose a hundred pounds. I go out on my first run and, and, uh, stub my toe and I quit. That's 80% of everybody in the health space. 
They have a great thing on January 1st, on January 2nd. It doesn't work out the way they thought, and then they just disengage. So that's really what quitting is. Uh, adjusting is recognizing that you can't see everything from the coffee table that you're making your ideas. Like you know, you and your wife are sitting around, oh my God, this year is going to be so great, and we're going to have all these things, and this is going to be good. From the coffee table, you can't see everything. A, a wise human being would look forward and go, every day something's going to come up that we had not even thought could happen. Some things you don't need to pay attention to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the Cardassians don't really have that big effect on human beings. So if social media blows up for you, you can probably still go to work and have a great marriage. You know what I mean? Does it really affect you? So there's things that are immediate that have transformative issues for human beings. Then there's the stupid shit that 80% of the people let adjust them off center. So that's one adjustment conversation. The other one is, am I willing now? So I'm even in dental practice. Mm-hmm. You didn't anticipate six of your hygienists not coming to work at the same time. Yep. What do you do? Do you quit, blame them, blame you, or recognize, okay, this is a big moment. What do I do? Because I want to stay in practice. I want to stay in this effort that I originally intended. Most people, as a part of not adjusting, blame the environment and blame themselves for what happened, but they're not engaging in a solution. There's a hundred solutions you could do because if hygienists don't show up, there's a hundred solutions, but we don't engage them. We just, Oh my God, this is the worst day ever. We're going to close it down. Whether it's a dental practice or even, even in my business, like everything comes up and I, if you get disturbed, you fall apart or you stay in the game. The idea for me, I think all humans is try to find a way to stay in this game that you're playing, whatever the game is, whether it's a football game or not, you go out on the first thing and you were a fullback, weren't you? Yeah. Linebacker. linebacker. So you miss a tackle, dude, it's one tackle. Yeah. It's one play. And then we get down on ourselves, which is a lack of adjustment. The play didn't go well. Coach yells at you. Your teammates now think you're an idiot. Okay. How can I, how can I stay in this position and do better at this next thing? It's funny in the military, it's talked about openly. Like all you do is make mistakes all the time and you talk about them openly. Like even the leader, Hey, sir, if you do that again, I'm just going to knock you out and you're going to sit in the truck the rest of the time. So, Oh my God, sir, please don't, don't, don't pick up the gun, whatever the thing is. And, but it's talked about openly as an adjustment to getting better. And I wish, I always often wish people in business would talk openly about what, what is it going to take now for us to adjust and leaders don't do well with that conversation. They think they no, have to make the choice, you know? Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, it's funny. You kind of came full circle back to that. In the beginning, you said something to the effect of, you know, I'm the biggest failure of all time because I didn't go through. And you just said, you know, 
people make mistakes. And, and that's the key. I think everyone listening here, their definition of a non-failure would be someone who's gone through Navy SEAL training. And yet you're saying, look, I fail all the time. I think for some reason, and I thought that on that bear crawl, you said 200 yards. I thought it seemed like it was about eight miles, but mm -hmm. it was probably less than that. But <laughs> the whole point is that it's not about failing. Everyone's going to fail all the time in everything we do. It's just what you do after that. And it, it's kind of a corny saying, but it really isn't. I mean, failing, once we accept, hey, it's going to happen and it's going to happen often, get over it. What do you do now? How do you adjust? Isn't that the basically the concept we have to get in our mind at that point. Yeah. That, well, that's the non-translatable mindset of the SEAL community. It's been hard for me to translate that to business. The SEAL community is based on failing. You, you learn from pistol shooting to diving, to jumping out of airplanes. Everything is, I don't know what I'm doing push it a little bit more, push a little bit more, make a mistake, come back, learn that, learn how to overcome that mistake. Uh, and everything is always unraveling. It's always feeling, it always feels like it's, I'm on the brink of not having the skill, being able to deliver a skill. So in training in the SEAL community, you train to failure. You don't train to success. You practice success, and then you go out and try to execute on that. If everybody's doing perfectly, the instructor staff will come forward and say, all right, here's the new problem. Uh, Dennis, you're dead. Bill's dead. John's dead. Solve that problem. So in training, you never win. In the business world, it's the avoidance of loss that most companies deal with they don't want to fail they don't want to like your hygienist all right hey we're going to see how many clients we can put through in one day before we fuck it up yeah. most people won't do that because they're going to lose clients as opposed to that iterative process of the hygienist going man i, I can't do 80 today i just cut up i cut a tongue off i wasn't even paying attention you know what i mean but that, that in the SEAL community is I'm allowed to fail. I know I'm going to be asked to go beyond my limit and people are, are there watching so it doesn't get unsafe. Then I'm going to learn from that and come back. And then the next thing I practice is that limit that I just exposed myself to. And I, that's why I think SEALs are, are lethal is because they're so used to failing and correcting it, failing it, correcting it to the point where if nobody can do something, it's not doable. Like, Hey, we want to be able to carry 200 pounds on our back. Hey boss, that was a nice thing. Let's go see if we can do it. If nobody can do it, it's off the table as a possibility in the business world. That comparative thing is everybody should be capable of doing this. Nobody can do it. They'll fire everybody to keep seeing if somebody can do it as opposed to recognizing the boss's idea was not possible. So the boss never learns from that. It may not be a great comparison, but I, I, I think all the comparative businesses I work with is, man, it's okay to fail. Learn from it, though. It could be the boss that made a mistake.
Like I've seen great bosses come forward and say, that was totally my mistake. I own it and we'll never do that again ever. As opposed to let's try it again, blame somebody else. You know, that what you just said is so accurate. I had a, a mentor in business years ago that said, basically, when there's an issue in a business, 99% of the time, it's the owner, CEO, that's the bottleneck. Once you realize that, you'll become a much more efficient business and leader. And, you know, that's hard to hear. But as I step back over the years, I'd look and the only thing he was wrong on in my case, it was 100%, not 99. And <laughs> once I learned that, it became better. But uh, we're in the military. You're allowed to feel like you said. You're allowed to go to the the boss or the, the lead yeah. guy and say, no, that's not going to work. Everyone's got an equal say. I think in business, it's an ego yeah. thing. And they're like, no, nah, it's, yeah. you know, it's not going to work that way. But Yeah, the, well, yeah, the, the mindset is it's okay to fail. But don't keep doing the same thing that failed, you know. Yeah. Give yourself enough grace in any aspect of your of your life to make a mistake and correct it. Whether it's a relational problem, a health problem. Like I try to stay on keto. I'm really good for about a month and then I'm not. I could quit on it or just go, okay, it's okay to make a mistake. How can I prevent that thing again from happening? Yeah. I can't. I still like key lime pie. It's my it's my vice. Especially this time here. Well, Tom, look, <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm just one thing to kind of wrap this up. And uh, I, I can assure not only what a big influence you've been in my life, literally when I say you changed my life and saved it, I literally don't know if I'd be alive now having, if I hadn't met you then. Uh, but I guess as we, like I said, we're a few days away from the beginning of year 2024. People are in their own mindset if you could have one effect or say one thing to people that are listening as they start this year, going into the year, what would make this year different for them that, that maybe they're not going to do, but mm. for most people as they prepare for a year and it, we do the same things every year and it doesn't work yet, we come back and do it again. What's one thing you would tell them to do different, whether it's a mindset, a technique, what, what would your recommendation be to them? Man, you know what? I I say this as a every human being should play bigger this year. Uh, the older I get, the more I recognize that time is so freaking short. I yeah. look back, even though I played big, I've played small sometimes, which makes me disturbed. Let 24 play big and give yourself a lot of grace to screw it up as many times as it takes and do something that's worth giving your life to this year. That's what I would recommend. You know, that dovetails right in. We've been talking a lot the last month about uh, 10 Xing a goal or just getting a goal you're afraid of. And uh, yep. without us talking about it, that's exactly what you said. I, I can't thank you enough, not only for today, what you've done, but what you've done for me and my family. For me personally, uh, what you've done for me and my relationship with my wife and my kids, uh, you've you've been a tremendous influence to me. Uh, anybody listening, it, it, it would be a big mistake for you to not contact. Like I said, he's changed my life and business uh, significantly. But more importantly, I'm 
and I'm not exaggerating. I'm alive now because of him. And not only that, but I've got a much better relationship with family and a wife because of Tom. I would highly encourage you to get a hold of him. Tom, if they wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, our, my website is uh, T-H-O-M-S-H-E-A.com. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. Okay. TomShea.com. Tom, you're a good man. Uh, I look forward to working with you and continuing our friendship. And I do not want to do any more bear crawling. So that's off the table. Me either. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All Thanks, right. Dennis. Love you, brother. Appreciate you. We'll, uh, yep. we'll talk soon.